the nursing process. The nursing process is a cyclical, critical thinking process um, that is that consists of five steps to follow in a purposeful, goal-directed, systematic way to achieve optimal client outcomes. We use the nursing process in our everyday activities in the hospital. Sometimes we use it knowingly that we are using it to achieve goals. Sometimes we use it unknowingly, but yet still we will still achieve the end goal after the process is over. The process is dynamic, is continuous, is client-centered, and uh, it is a problem-solving or a decision-making framework we use to go through our problems every day. Now, um, it helps us to integrate critical thinking skills to set up the easiest framework to get through our work at the very It could be a hospital, it could be a clinical, a clinic setting, it could be um, in a group home, it could be a home health or nursing facility, it could be anywhere, even in our daily life, we can still use this nursing program, which is very effective in getting through our daily activities. It promotes professionalism of nursing. Why also it differentiates, or why also differentiating the practice of nursing from practice of medicine and that of our holistic health care delivery system. That's how unique this nursing process is. Now, in the end class, it is so important for the end class because the end class questions are other, the end class questions when it comes to prioritization. They are other prioritized according to the ABC, which is the airway, breathing, and circulation, or it is it is uh, it is tailored according to Maslow hierarchy of human needs, starting from the physiologic need towards self actualization, or it might be fraction or it might be like tailored into the nursing process itself. Wherein we start with our assessment when you have a condition in in medicine in nursing, the first thing you want to do is assessment. That becomes our purpose when you go to see a patient. The first time a patient comes under your watch as a nurse, the first thing you want to engage into is patient assessment. You want to do assessment, and there are different styles of assessment. So, certain part of the body will start with different style, like for the abdomen or for the thoracic cavity, they have different steps when it comes to assessment. Well, we're going to do um, the IPPA, that is the inspection, we do the palpation, the precaution, and we do the auscultation. Those are all different domains when it comes to assessment. Then we have the uh, diagnosis. After you have assessed a patient, the next thing that you want to come to is diagnosis. In diagnosis, if we did a very good and a unique assessment, it gives us a better diagnosis. If we miss our assessment, we want to have a wrong diagnosis. Then from there, we have to come to planning. After you have after you have done the diagnosis, you, 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 you want to plan for the condition. And the planning state is also as important as compared to uh, the assessment. Because without plans, you cannot move ahead. So you've done the assessment, you've done the diagnosis, now you come to plan what the client needs. If you do not plan, you will not be able to 
to, to provide the care for the patient in a fraction or in a in a fraction manner. You want to have a plan for your patient that is unique, that is patient-oriented, that the patient has an input in what he or she wants to achieve at the end of the day in the health continent. Then we come to implementation. When we do not have a good planning, we cannot have a unique implementation. So our assessment, our diagnosis, our, uh, our planning, then we come to implementation. Now, when it comes to implementation, that's where most of our endless question lies when it comes to clinical questions. In that particular domain, um, there are three things we either do, one of those three things. One, we either provide an action to save life or an action to prevent complication. That's one. Two, we either pick up the phone and call the doctor because it is above our range to come in and provide the management or to tell her what to do. And the third one becomes we just keep monitoring or we keep watching because it is normal or it has not reached the point that we have to implement anything or what to call the doctor. Those are the three things you want to understand when it comes to clinical judgment. They will give you a question. A client who just took a BCG vaccines has a fever of 101 degree Fahrenheit. What would, what would be the nurse immediate action? A will say do nothing is normal. It comes with the vaccination. B will say call the doctor because the child is at risk for, uh, for, for BCG vaccine complication. C will say... Um, Sponge by the patient, D will say a minister Tylenol. What's the nurse immediate action at this point? If the nurse does not know what to do, it becomes a serious problem. So, the nurse should know whether at that point the nurse is going to, is going to provide action, which is going to be either providing the sponge bath or giving the Tylenol. That's one, two. The nurse should understand whether they are going to like, call the doctor because that is above their range or not. They have to know. And they tell when the nurse has to know that, that is a normal fever that comes with the vaccine. These are things the nurse has to understand, to know to move forward. If the nurse does not know this thing, if the nurse does not understand this particular method that he or she is supposed to implement when it comes to nursing, then it becomes a bigger problem. Then the last question is the evaluation. After we've gone through from the assessment, diagnosis, the planning, the implementation, now we derive at the evaluation. It is this point at which the nurse must understand to go back and do an assessment of the entire process, whether it was achieved 100%, whether it was halfway achieved, whether it was not achieved at all. This is where compliance, quality control comes in. They help us, they help us, they help us to like a, try to like a set up new goals or try to come out and do new things. If it is not implemented, then we have to go back to the drawing board and understand why was it not implemented. If we implemented halfway, we won't know why was it not completely implemented. These are things that come with the nursing process. Now, also in this nursing process, um, Let's talk about the assessment. Let's start with the first one, which is assessment. 
which is the first portion of the nursing process, assessment. Now, under assessment um, is where we collect data systematically to put together so that we can uh, provide, um, so that we can focus and get an outcome from the assessment. Now, in assessment, we have two kinds of data collection. We have one that becomes objective and we have one that is subjective. In the one that is objective, it is what um, it is uh, in it in, uh, in the one that, that is objective is what that is real we can see and uh, anyone who come in to do the scene assessment will see the scene that we already live Take for example, um, you have like a mass. We see uh, a mass, or we see a macule, a macular, or we see a macule that is around 1.5 centimeter or 2 centimeter or half centimeter. Now, this becomes an objective uh, assessment. You can see it, even if you leave from there, Amadou comes, Amadou will see the ceiling, that becomes objective, and we can report it. Now, subjective is like paint. We cannot, the subjective so, so become what the patient tells you. That becomes subjective. Because I'm in pain. That's why in pain, we never question. We always say, well, do what the patient said. Unless something is feature happening in that case, then we can do assessment. But when it comes to pain, pain is subjective. And what the patient says is what we start to do when it comes to pain medication. Then after assessment, then uh, we have, um, then we have, uh, we do analysis. Now the analysis is almost like diagnosis. The analysis is wherein we recognize potential and actual problems. The potential ones are those ones that's going to come in not right away. It might come a little bit, a uh, little time from now. If we do not put in those measures that will prevent it occurrences. The actual ones are the one that, are, that is happening right away and it needs prompt. It needs an immediate management. That becomes the actual and the potential problem on our analysis, which is the diagnosis. And that's why in nursing you have actual and potential nursing diagnosis. Let's take for example, in the English, you might be asked, on question, asked about questions that you need to provide the regular nursing diagnosis. And now in nursing diagnosis, it contains three different parts. You have the um, the etiology, you have the etiology, you have the disease condition, and you have the manifestation. Those three parts make up the nursing diagnosis. Now, they might ask you, a client who is who is asthmatic or a client with asthma um present under the care. What could be the possible nursing diagnosis for this client? Now, asthma as a whole, we look at what, what can asthma cause when you have asthma. What are those things that, 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 that you present with? That's how generate nursing diagnosis. So the problems we're going to have with asthma, it is those problems that we want to provide a nursing diagnosis for that we can put measure in place to stop the asthmatic attack. Take for example, when you have asthma, what, what do you have? You don't breathe well, right? you have airway congestion when you have asthma. Your airway becomes tough. So that becomes, uh, we will not say airway is tough. We can say ineffective. That becomes ineffective airway clearing or airway 
or you can say if if you're not breathing because when you are not breathing well when you have asthma the airway becomes narrow it becomes stuffy in that case the airway is not effective so to generate a diagnosis for that particular condition of asthma you want to use like ineffective airway because the airway is not clear so that becomes a nursing diagnosis now in one condition you might have four to five or even more than ten different nursing diagnoses now look at asthma asthma we can have ineffective airway that's one Two, we can also have uh, ineffective gastro exchange because when you have asthma, you're not exchanging gases correctly because, because your, your lungs is congested. Your lungs cannot harbor the amount of air, the volume of air the, the lungs needs to harbor to breathe correctly or to breathe appropriately. It is not possible because of the asthmatic condition wherein your your your, vest, your bronchi is kind of a narrow and they are stuffy. So you're going to have ineffective gastro exchange. It is another that's not for this particular asthma. Another one could be what? Activities intolerance. Activities intolerance. Why is it this DS? Because when you have asthmatic attack, you cannot do your normal activities. You cannot move around. You cannot even walk because you your you have breath deprivation. You cannot breathe well. So you can have a couple of them here. This is another one. Now, another one could be um let's look at Another diagnosis for asthma. Now, if you look at in Nanda, Nanda will have so many of them. Nanda is where we find these nursing diagnoses. It is, it is a particular site that every condition has their diagnosis in there for nurses. Now, in the English, you might have these diagnoses for one condition. How do we derive at the best and the most correct nursing diagnosis is? We look at them according to priority. So, so with asthma, which one of these nurses become a priority? Infective airway, infective gastric exchanges, as intolerance. Everything are all correct. But the most important one will be this particular area here. It is where we need to put in priority. Because if we do not put in priority to exchange this patient with O2 and CO2, if their O2 and CO2 level of exchanges are not correct, the patient cannot survive. So if you have this diagnosis on a congenital asthma, you want to see which one, the first, your first goal could be, which one is in line with the particular congenital asthma. That's the first thing. So when you take the first two that are in line, because in the end class, there will always be two correct answers and two wrong answers. So when you take the first two correct answers in the end class, you are left with two wrong answers. Now, those two correct answers, yes, two of them are correct or they might be correct. But in between the two, which one is the most correct one that if you do not choose, the patient might die or the patient might go into serious complication, become your next task. So now you look at between infective air gases and infective airway, they are almost the same. But the exchanges of gases that we're talking about here, how can the patient breathe in O2 and breathe out CO2? If that is not in place, then every other thing that we will ever try to do for the patient will be vanity because the patient might die for even reach to other or uh, other treatment modality so our concern become gastro exchanges how can they put out the co2 that have been trapped in their lungs and how can they breathe in the o2 for the cells to live now in that case our best bet will be 
effective gastro exchange. So in this case, this diagnosis becomes our problem to provide goals, provide implementation or intervention to save the client. So you will see this about condition, diabetes mellitus. You will see thousands of nursing diagnoses for diabetes mellitus. Which one can we take that will bring the patient back to normality? Which one can we take in there? So when the employer asks you to pick up a nursing diagnosis, it's not just about going for anyone in there. Which one that is linked with the condition in question? The next thing gonna be if, if, if you have two or three options that are linked with the, with the question itself, which one is the most important one? It's what you choose for the English. We'll do some questions on them tonight and you will see what, 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 what I'm talking about. So under analysis and data collection is where we have the diagnosis. And in this nursing diagnosis, we have to look there keenly and understand what can we recognize as a pattern or trends that we need to use as the correct answer in these cases. Now, the RNs will make multiple analysis based on their interpretation of what they have collected during the assessment. So that's, that's what I said. We make analysis about these things that we're going to have. These analysis are based on what information that we've collected to be analyzed to provide this diagnosis. We came to the hospital, the patient came to the hospital, the patient had chief complaints. What are you, why are you here? What brought you to the hospital? That becomes the chief complaint. Oh, I can't breathe. I'm having shortness of breath. Those are our primary nursing diagnosis because they are the one that the patient came with. They are the most important one. How did it start? It started, I inhaled uh, certain odor from the house and I began to cough. Then I started to have, uh, I couldn't talk well. My voice began hoarse and all of them. That's how it started. So hoarse voice could be also a nursing diagnosis, but it is not as of a priority compared to the infected airway or compared to infected gastric exchange. The client now cannot even walk even one of, even even 0.6 miles, they will feel tired. So yes, they cannot complete their ADL. So they are having activities intolerance. But is, is this a priority? No, it's not a priority under here. But if we were asked with other questions or with other options that did not carry these two diagnoses, this could be a priority with other options. So we'll see this in the end class a lot. You will see nursing diagnosis in the a lot. So when we do assessment, our assessment will give us our nursing diagnosis, would become, which becomes our analysis. So, so these are things we're going to see along the way. Now, then after that, the, the, the nurses will recognize the patterns and trends. They will compare the data with expected standard or reference ranges. So we want to set up expected outcomes. If there are no expected outcomes, then we want to look at the ranges that we are having. So these are things we want to do along the way. Now, RNs, makes, RNs make multiple analysis based on the interpretation of data collected. They decide 
using reasoning and judgment, which data account for clients' health status or problems. At times, this requires further data analysis and collections. As nurses, as, as nurses again cluster the collected data, a specific finding might serve as an alert to specific problems that requires planning and intervention. So when we derive at this nursing diagnosis, what next is the planning? Because we want to provide a care plan for this client. And the care plan has various parts. The care plan has the information that we want to get, which includes subjective and objective data. Then the care plan has the diagnosis, both medical and nursing diagnosis. Then the care plan has goals, short-term and long-term goals. Short-term goals should be there. Long-term goals are available. Then we have intervention or implementation. How can we implement to get this achieved? That becomes our intervention. Now, so we do this thing. After that, then we have the next era is planning. Like I said, I talked about planning earlier. Planning will plan out now. In planning, we also plan for discharge. So discharge teaching starts with admission. As soon as a patient is admitted, at the day, on the day of admission, that's when we want to start discharge teaching because we want to plan. That way we'll formulate the care plan. And the care plan includes admission, assessment, or the, the stay, the goal, short-term, long-term goal, and have discharge. So the admission will have, will have everything in there. So on the planning, on the care, on the care plans, on our care plan, we start discharge planning at the level of admission. If that is done, then we'll go to implementation. Under here, we implement what we've planned. We, we implement those therapeutic interventions, which include um, also include measures nurses will take to minimize the risks of the condition, which also look at like a wearing of PPEs to, to, to care for the client. Everything is under implementation. Then we want to have rationales for our intervention. If any nursing intervention does not have a rationale, it is not a good intervention. That's why we have to include the intervention and the rationale in the nursing care plan for client that is being admitted. Then we have evaluation. In this process, the nurses evaluate the client's responses to nursing intervention and form a clinical judgment about the extent to which the client has met the goals or the outcome. That's what I said. They, it can either be met 100% or halfway, or it was not met at all under the evaluation stage. So these things happen in the case of the nursing process. Now, what is important under here, we'll do some question on this tonight. Let me give you some examples under here, how the question comes in the end class for this nursing process. Let's take for example, the nurse received a client. The client was involved into a car accident. The client is in the ER and the client is bleeding. What's the nurse immediate action? A says, um, check the vital sign. Check the client vital signs. B say, suture the wound. Suture the bleeding wound. Suture the bleeding wound. 
she says, call the doctor on call, on call, doctor on call in the ER. And D says, um, D says, gather equipment, gather equipment um, to send the client to the operation room, to the OR. Which one is the correct answer? You will call for a patient. The patient is in the ER. The patient just came in through the ER, through an, uh, an ambulance. They were involved in an accident. And they are bleeding profusely. What's the initial action of the, of the nurse? Check vital sign. Suture the wound. Call doctor on call. Gather equipment to send the client to the OR. Why A? Okay. And a contrary view. Now, let's not even stand here. Okay. I was going to go with C, but I don't know. C. Call the doctor. Okay. She says C here, right? Someone say A. Now, in this case scenario, you are going with the nursing process. These are questions going to come in the entrance a lot when it comes to priorities. When you have a question, the nurse was called. The nurse came on the scene. The nurse arrived. The nurse was signaled. The nurse saw the patient. What would the nurse do? What would the nurse immediate action? Those are questions of priority. The priority question, I tell you, they are either about A, B, C, or they are about Maslow, hierarchy of human needs, or they are about the nursing process, that's how the product are going to be. And in this question, this is about the nursing process. Now, when you see a patient, the first thing you do is assessment. If assessment has not been met, you cannot skip it and do anything. It's going to be wrong. So in the question where it says, um, check the vital sign, this is assessment. So take for example, if in a real life scenario, pressure, you were in a, you were sitting in a hospital, you were in a hospital as the as as the charge nurse, and the blood patient on the you know, they call you, you went to the patient. What 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 was the first thing you do with that patient? The patient is bleeding. You want to do assessment. Evaluation is one of the key points, the key factor when it comes to assessment. This guy is bleeding. You want to assess him and know his baseline data. You want to assess him and know what he needs. If you do not assess him, you wouldn't know what he needs. You wouldn't know what's happening to him. He's bleeding. You want to ask a question. How long has he been bleeding? How many, like, approximately how, how many volume of blood has he lost? This man, what led to this problem? There are a lot of things you want to ask. You want to gather your data. And it's the most important power when it comes to care of a patient because it's the beginning of the nursing process. So you have assessment, diagnosis, planning, and you have uh, evaluation, which is add part. Now, in this case, a uh, uh, strong wounds, 
Yes, we can switch out a wound. But does that wound is does that wound require uh, surgery? Is it a suture wound for a nurse? Or is it a wound that needs to be taken to, to the OR? You cannot know that until you do assessment. If it is a very big wound, the patient has lost so many pounds of blood, so many units of blood, you want to have, you know what I'm talking about, OR, because the patient going to OR, they will put up blood while they are doing the, 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 the while they are doing the suturing, there are so many things they want to do. You want to put up IV and other things, those are things you want to put up cardiac monitor, those are things you want to do. Is the client going into shock? So you, you want to know those things if you are doing the assessment. So call the doctor. Yes, we want to call the doctor, but it is in our range. If it's in our range and you call a doctor, he will cost you. He's going to get mad. He will shout at you. And you don't want to be the nurse who will call the doctor for something that is within your range to do. They're going to piss the doctor up. So you can see whether it is in your range to do, you do it. If it is not in your range, that's when you call the doctor. But in this case, you were just caught on a patient. There is no history of the patient. You want to get it, you want to gather the history of the patient do anything for this patient. So your priority here will be checking the vital sign, which is assessment. Now in the English, they will not use the word assessment. They will say, check the vital sign or look at the wound. Even the word look is an assessment because it is an inspection. So on an assessment, we have inspection, we have palpation, we have percussion and we have auscultation. Early on inspection. Even if we ask the patient what led to this, that is that will follow inspection. We are gathering data, which is assessment. It could be subjective or it could be objective. It is gathering data. So in that case, assessment is our primary concern. If we have question of this, let's look at another question and see how it's going to start. So you receive another question in the end lesson. The question states that uh, a client was, let's say the same client, right? The client was involved into a motor vehicle accident. The client has 98.6 degrees Celsius. The client has 78 pulse. The client has 99% of pulse us. The client has a BP of what? 120 over 80. What is the nurse immediate action? A says, um, assess the client. Assess the client or, or the patient. B says, call the doctor. Call the doctor. Or C says, suture the client, suture the, suture the laceration. Um, D says, um, D says, send the client, send the client or the patient to the OR for surgery. What will you do in this case? So A, so this is a client received. The client had a laceration on the client knee. The client has 98.6 degrees Celsius, 78 uh, pulse, now, nine percent pulse ox and the BP is one hundred or eighty. What's the nurse immediate action? The pulse is on eight. The pulse is on eight. Yeah, the immediate action? Now, the eight point six. Temperature. Temperature. Now, eight point six. 
Assess the patient. Assess the patient. Call the doctor. Suture the, the, the wound or laceration. Send the patient to the OR. So what's your answer? Which which one is the suture wound? I'm not feeling the wound. So your answer is 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 suturing the wound, right? Yeah, the other one. What next? Anybody has another contrary view? For me, I choose A. A. I, I would choose A because you gotta listen to the bowel sounds and pulses and stuff. And the Okay, so, so, okay, so, all right, so let's, let's look at it from this way, right? I want, I want to start thinking like nurses, when you have a problem, if it is a priority problem, please think on all these three. Now, it is not ABC, so ABC is out. It is not about human needs, priority is out. It's about nursing process. A-D-P-I-E, assessment, diagnosis, planning, implementation, evaluation. So our answer should be one of these five domains. The fact that they gave us Vardasan, meaning assessment was done. So one assessment has been done, our priority is no longer assessment. We've done assessment. You understand that? Once the question gave you any assessment value, assessment is done already. Unless, unless the question stated that you need to do extra assessment in different language. In that case, we, but this cannot be assessment. So this, we cannot do assessment if, if the, we cannot get these values if we don't do assessment. So looking at that, I mean, you, you will call the doctor because you cannot... You're not going to call because this is a and a nurse can suture. So in this case, I will answer with straight because this becomes implementation. So calling the doctor for what? For for laceration? No. So, the nurses can suture. The they wound. can suture. Yeah, they have nurses here who can suture in the ER. They have ER. They even have EMT who can suture. So in this case, it fall up in our range. So you go in and suture the wound because this this is the wound. This client is having active bleeding. And the bleeding is not something that you cannot manage. It's a, it's a laceration. So you go in your suture. You cannot see that to the OR because a doctor has to see him when he's seeing the OR. For sure. So who is the OR to, for you to go and say into? Doctor is not that waiting for a patient to, to just go and do a surgery. He has to be seen and know what's happened to him before they can see into the OR. So this not so our range is this now this is on our it's our implementation so we check here for the form assessment this guy has already done assessment in the question in the question they give it they give up they give up a vital sign this means he has done a already so any answer here that has with a it is not the correct answer we'll cross it out diagnosis yes he has a laceration so the question 
has already told that the client has laceration. So that becomes his diagnosis. He has an accident or he has a laceration due to road or motor vehicle accident. So that becomes the diagnosis. So planning. So anything here, anything here about planning? No. If we, if we're gonna plan, we need to implement the kind of guys having active bleeding. He's an active bleeder, so we need to implement. What can we, what can we implement to help this client to save the client life or to prevent the client from going into a problem? Because this client, the next diagnosis for the, for this client could be risks of fluid volume or decreased fluid volume or risks for shock because he's having active bleeding. If we do not implement anything, he might go into shock. So in this case, the DS could be potential risks for infection. He's having an open wound. It's open to the air. So that could be a risk for in fact that becomes that, that becomes a potential nursing DIs for him. He could be risked for fluid volume deficit. So our problem is to implement what? To suture the wound. If the wound is sutured, the bleeding is curtailed. Then we can do further thing. Now we can call the doctor. Hey, do uh, hello, doctor. Doctor, this uh, we had a patient who came with RTA with laceration of the lower legs. Uh, we assessed him. We did a suturing. Bleeding is not under control. I recommend that we come. You come and please look at him. So we send to the lab and do for him some X-ray or thing. That is a nurse. That is a complete S bar report. You are giving to a doctor to come and see a patient. So when he when he comes, he will not look at what you guys have said. Ask the patient, then he ordered lab for the patient. So before you call a doctor, you should have done. You should, you should have do something for calling. You should have done some. You should have put, put in some action. These are things you want to do in in the hospital. So we'll do this. We'll do some questions like this tonight a lot on this nursing diagnosis. You look at them. You see, if if you read a UR, the UR has questions on this nursing process. So when you're given a question or priority, no matter it is airway, brain, or, 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 or circulation question. No matter it is question about muscular health or human needs. Take for example, you have a client. The client, or uh, you have four patients. One patient has a, has a physiologic need. Other patient has a, has a need of love and belonging. Or a patient called you. A patient told you on the phone that uh, he's having or. Uh, He's having blood vision. He's having a fast heartbeat. He's having a shrinking eyes. He's having cold sweat and other things. The patient gave you the symptom of hypoglycemia. And you receive a call from the patient who said the husband does not come home on time. The husband is involved in the extramarital affair. Then you got a call from the patient who is having a who is having dyspnea due to being diagnosed with COPD. And you have a patient who is having shortness of breath with asthma. Who will you call first? In this question? No. You will not. 
you're going to call the patient who is having the symptom of hypoglycemia because hypoglycemia is more than all. If you have asthma, you have a regular asthmatic attack that will not pose risk to your life, which will not asthma can or shorten your breath. Asthma patient who, who breathing faster is a normal thing for asthma patient. A patient who has COPD and having dyspnea is also normal for them. Nothing else we can do until it is raising alarm of complication. Patients who have asthma, they will breathe, you hear wheezes on the, on the same patient with asthma, you, and then the patient, you hear wheezes from the lungs. Ah, wheezes and asthma are like together. We cannot divorce the wheezes from asthma. So in that case, it's not a problem for us. But the client who is having the physiologic need of master hierarchy, who is hypoglycemic, he needs to put something, he needs to eat, he's hungry. He's going to hypoglycemic or uh, glycemic attack. So in that case, that person becomes our concern. In the endless, the endless will not tell you the patient is hypoglycemic. They will give you the symptom of hypoglycemia. And you have to figure out that this symptom I'm seeing here, there are symptoms that are linked to hypoglycemia. So these are things that we have to think about in the English and be able to follow it in a appropriate way. So we'll do questions on the nursing on on, on, on the nursing process so, a lot. So, um, so question, so question, Amanda. So that answer is like now. Asepsis is just the absence of a disease-producing microorganism or disease-producing pathogen. So whenever we talk about asepsis. We are talking about being free of an environment, being free in an environment where there is no microbes. It could be bacteria, it could be fungi, it could be uh, virus, it could be other microorganisms also. So um, we have two types. We have the medical asepsis and we have the surgical asepsis. Now, for medical asepsis, um, just refer to the use of precise practices to reduce the numbers, the growth, and the spread of micro. It is also called the clean techniques. So in medical, we are reducing the growth of bacteria and other micros. So in this case, we call it the clean technique. It is clean. So it is not that we are 100% getting rid of these macros, but we want to reduce it as much as possible. That's why we have clean technique. So if you wear a disposable glove to do a procedure, even those gloves we are wearing that, that they are disposable, those gloves contain macros. But the macros within those gloves, it is not as strong, it is not as thin, or it is not as many as compared to when you do a procedure with your bare hands. So when you use disposable glove to do a procedure, it is a medical asepsis technique you are employing. Now, in medical asepsis, um, we provide, it, it, it is applied to administering oral medication. So we're getting oral medication, we provide, we are, we are, we are, we are adhering to 
medical is so that's why between medication we wash our hands or we use hand sanitizer so every time we use that we are using a a medical ASFC technique we also uh, like when we are doing NG tube nasogastric tube it is a medical ASFC technique because even the gastric mucosa or the alimentary canal or the GI tract as in the call it contains bacteria so in that case that particular GI tract it is not free from bacteria so it is a, it is a medical ASFC technique that we are using to carry on those procedures or when we are performing other common nursing process or nursing activities, those are all being done through a medical aseptic techniques. Like you are wearing PPEs to help a client who is showing her or to go to a client who has tobacco losses. That is not a sterile procedure. It is just a, a medical aseptic technique. So that's how we define medical asepsis. Then we look at surgical asepsis. Now, in surgical asepsis, surgical asepsis, now, in here, specifically or precisely, we are getting rid of macros. We are, we do not want to see macros, so we eliminate. Only here, we eliminate, we eliminate macros, so we are we are getting rid of microorganisms. So in surgical asepsis, we do not reduce, we do not minimize, we get rid of, we eliminate. We should have a macro-free environment. In surgical aseptic, we should have a micro-free environment. That is, our environment should not contain anything in bacteria. Now, um, in this particular asepsis, we use what we call the sterile technique. So here we'll talk about sterility or sterile technique. So we'll talk about or, or, or we'll talk about sterility or sterile technique under here. We have to have sterile feel for surgical procedure. We got to have sterile feel in here. Now, um, it applies to parenteral medication. If we are passing IV meds, IM meds. We need a sterile field. We need a sterile technique. If we are providing PO meds, we need a clean or a medical aseptic technique. So, if we are providing or if we are inserting urinary character, we need a sterile field. If we are doing surgical procedure, we need sterility. We need surgical aseptic. If we are doing dressing, we need to wear sterile materials. If we are uh, doing anything, any procedure that require that is invasive, that require our body or also of the coming in contact with our blood and other part of our body, in that case, we need surgical aseptic technique. Now, so um, before beginning any tax or procedure that requires sterile technique. The healthcare team must check for latest allergy. If the client or any member of the health of the team has a latest allergy, the team must use latest free gloves, equipment, or supplies. So that's so that's the difference between surgical and uh, medical aseptic. 
Now, don't look at few rules when it comes to hand hygiene that are very important. One, we always use hand hygiene because our hands is one of the fastest uh, medium that we use to, to, to spread disease conditions or microbes. We use an antimicrobial or a plain soap and water to wash our hand to create hygiene for our hand. Or we can use a hand sanitizer that is alcohol-based like gels, foams, or rinses to clean our hands. There are three things you got to hand washing. You got to use soap, you got to use water, and you need friction to create a clean hand. You need soap, you need water, and you need the friction. If one of those things is not part of the hand washing, it is not a clean hand washing. So in hand washing, we wash the hand with soap and water, rub the hand together vigorously, and rinse the hand under running water. Wash the hand for at least 15 seconds to remove transient fluoride, up to two minutes. So you wash the hand for 15 seconds, 15 seconds for two minutes to remove transient fluoride from our hands. Now, not only that, um, the next thing you want to do is you also, uh, after washing the hands, dry the hands and turn up the fossil with paper, with paper towel in your hands. If the sink does not foot on knee paddles for turning the water off, you must use a dry paper towel to turn off the water. If the water is not a smart faucet, you must not put your bare hands on the faucet to close it. Also, for hands hygiene with an alcohol-based product, you, you, you want to dispense the manufacturer recommended amount, which is around 3 to 5 ml of the hand sanitizer in your hand. You put at least 3 to 5 ml of hand sanitizer in your hand that will be equivalent to your hand being uh, clean with the alcohol-based hand sanitizer. You rub it between your palms, and then the hand is, san is sanitized. Um, we use masks, gloves, gowns, and protective eyewear to help control contact and spread of microbes to staff and clients. We use that. Um, for our physical environment, when we are using the physical environment, we never want to place items on the floor. Even soil laning or soil laundry, we do not place it on the floor. We are creating a sterile environment. Um, we also um, do not shake linens because doing so can spread microbes in the air. So you keep the soil linen from touching them. You do not shake them in the, in the air when you take it from the bear when they are soil. You, do, you clean the least soil area first. Then you go to the most soil area. So if you're having a cloth to clean, and the middle of the cloth is the most soil area, meaning the most wet area, so you start from the from the less from the area that is not very wet. You move toward the most wet part. That's how you clean soil linen. I know these are common things. It sounds common, but in the anklets, sometimes when it comes to the anklets, it will not be as common as you think about it because they might bring it in different forms. You place all laboratory specimens in a biohazard container or bags that will be transferred to the lab. And it should be disposed it should be disposed 
you pour any liquid used for client care directly into the drain and avoid spattering the, to prevent spreading droplets. You enter the body fluid at water level of toilet to avoid splashing. These are things we do. Now, let's maintain a sterile fee. Maintain a sterile fee, we avoid coughing over the sterile fee. We avoid sneezing over the sterile fee. We also refrain from touching supplies, the drips, or the gloves and the gowns. We avoid all those things talking over a sterile fee. Once we talk, once we sneeze, once we cough, all the sterile fee, it is no one considered a sterile fee. Only sterile items may be in touch with a sterile fee. So, um, you not put anything above the sterile fee. And the sterile fee is, it should not go below your waist. Below your waist, if you hold a sterile material like this, if it go above your head, it is not sterile. If it go below your waist, it is not sterile. It's between your waist and your chest. That's where we maintain sterility. Above is non-sterile. Below is non-sterile. And all sterile, all sterile few are waterproof. They will have waterproof washer. Anything that is wet is not sterile anymore. So these are things we understand about sterility. Then you want to understand also um, how to put on PPE and take out PPEs in the fraction. Please look at that on Google. How to put on PPEs, how to take out the start. This thing come in drag and drop. How do you put on sterile material? Got glove, gown, goggle, everything. How do you do it? Look at that on Google. That, that is our assignment. Look, look at that today. Look at putting on and removing uh, PPEs. Putting on and removing and Removing PPEs. You can say downing and undoning PPEs. Look at look, look at that on, on Google and you have it. Please memorize that. Know how to do from start to end in a reverse manner and in a straight manner. Know that for an assignment. Now, when it comes to adaptation precaution, um, let's understand that when it comes to adaptation, the client is at risk for depression. So we all saw what happened in Africa, was Africa, even in this COVID-19 period, when clients were isolated or clients are isolated, what happened to them? They will they, they still the risk of undergoing depression because you are somewhere where your liver is seized and you are ill. You're not seeing people. You're talking to people. Anybody who comes in your mess, they come for a short time and they are gone. And you don't feel yourself. You're gonna feel like you are of a lesser human because you are sick. In that case, all those things can put depression on the individual who are being isolated. So let's answer that first before moving forward. Now, in the first one, we talk about the, the, the tire one. Tire one is what we call the standard precaution. Now, in standard precaution, what are we looking at in standard precaution? In standard precaution, um, this is applied to all body fluid. 
non-intact skin, mucous membrane. So on top of tire one, which all body fluid, all bodily fluid, all body fluid is tire one. That is uh, what we talk about, like the sweat. Sorry, except sweat. Now, so sweat is not a muscle, except sweat. So there's usually sweat. So sweat is not part of standard precaution. So it includes all, meaning that all body fluid that are going to come in contact with, we should use a while as standard precaution for all body fluid besides sweat. So sweat is not among, among contact precaution, uh, precaution it's not a standard precaution. It now should implement standard precaution for all clients. Hair hygiene using an alcohol-based solution for standard precaution. Um, unless the patient is, unless your hair becomes sore, if the patient is sore or you can't out with a patient sore or sore linen or sore clothing, you cannot use alcohol based no more. You gotta wash your hands. But if it's just contact, touch to touch, you can use alcohol based hand sanitizer. Now, um, so blood, urine, vomitus, all those are on our body fluid. Sweat is not part of the skin precaution on the tire one. Alcohol based water is preferred unless the client has a visible dirt. Then in that case, it is not. We can use a non-antimicrobial soap if um, if the body or the body part becomes contaminated. So mask, eye protection, face shield are required when when care might cause splashing or spraying of body fluid. So we can use masks, face shield. And other things that we use in the, the body, if the, if, if the client is understanding precaution and then the client body fluid might, might splash. In that case, we can use the glove, we can use the, the, the or we can use the glass or the, the eye shield, and we can use or the face shield. We can use that. We can use a clean glove when we are touching anything that has the potential to contaminate the hands of the nurse. This includes in body secretion, we can use glove. This also include um, excretion, body of blood and body fluids, non-intact skin, mucous membranes, and any item that is contaminated, that is contaminated we must use a standard precaution with those areas or in those areas. Now. Also, we should remove glove and complete hand hygiene between clients, which we all know that. Clean gloves are worn when touching anything that has to do with the client body. Hygiene is required after that. Back and handle any item that is contaminated uh, to, to like linens or laundry to prevent leaking or transmission of the microbes. A client does not need a private room under here unless when it's recommended client who for under tire one no precaution clients they do not need a private room unless he is unable to maintain appropriate hygienic practices 
If the client cannot maintain hygienic purposes, then the client needs to be isolated. Or besides that, we do not need a private room for this particular time. Then we have tire two. Tire two is what we call transmission precaution. Tire two is transmission precaution. So transmission is what we call a tire two. Tire number two is transmission precaution. Here we are preventing transmission of different disease condition. Now under here, we have uh, one airborne. So tire two, we have airborne. Here we have airborne precaution, airborne precaution. Under airborne precaution, we talk about we protect against droplet infection of any disease condition or disease causing organism that is less than five microgram. So airborne disorder will provide a micro that is less than five microgram. So anything that is less than five microgram is regarded as uh is regarded as airborne precaution. Those conditions include Varicella, so they include you have one varicella, you have the measles, they are all on an airborne precaution. You have like a the pulmonary or laryngeal TB, so you have tuberculosis, so they are all considered as airborne because the organism that cause these conditions they are smaller than five micrograms. So in that case, they are regarded as airborne precaution on a tire two, which is transmission precaution. Then on an airborne precautions, we require a private room. When you are on an airborne precaution, you require a private room. That's why client with TB needs to be in a private room. Client with varicella needs to be in a private room. Client with measles needs to be in a private room. Now, um, the client max and respiratory protection are needed for their caregiver and their visitor. So the client with now this is an English point. So clients are not here. They need private room. They need a private room for them. Those that will visit. Those that will visit. Do not visit them. They need a mask. They need mask, and also the healthcare worker who going to go in out of the room. They also need to put on masks for prevention of transmission of the of the, of the, of the, of the disease. So if a client is going to a patient room who has tuberculosis, that client uh, that nurse needs to wear mask. If the client has a visitor, the visitor needs to wear masks. While going to room, any lungs condition that is transmissible, that is contagious, they will need to wear masks. So all the lung condition that, that that has transmission, in that case, they need to wear masks. So we use N95 or the HIPAA respirator, uh, respirator if the client is known or is supposed to have TB. So, so, so if the client is having TB, it's an active TB. We use N95. 
So if you have an active TB, we use the N95 max, or what a HEPA, H-E-P-A. HEPA is the high, or uh, it's called the high efficiency particulate, the high efficiency particulate air. So we use the HEPA or the N95 mask. If the client is known to have TB, we use this particular mask. That's why on the very unit, if the hospital, if the patient do not have any active COVID-19 case, you can wear a regular mask. But once you have a patient in the hospital who has an active COVID-19 case, the hospital demands that everyone should wear the N95 mask that work in the hospital. Then the next thing we have on our here, we have the droplet. Hey, I, have a, I, I have a question. Uh -huh. yeah, I want to know because you say visitors should wear masks. Now, if the person has active TB, the visitors should wear the N95 or the regular mask. N95 mask. So the patient, the visitor, and the nurse should wear the N95 mask. The patient is not wearing N95 mask. The patient only wears an ever mask if he or she is being transferred to another unit for a procedure. But once they are in the other room, they do not need to wear masks. You who going in the room, you are the one who wearing the mask. That's why we keep it in the proper room. So in that case, they need to be in a one negative pressure room. So we have what we call negative. Pressure room. What is it? It is a room that the air in the room will not go outside, but air from outside will come inside. Simple as that. Negative. Air from outside will come inside. Air from inside will not go outside. That becomes a negative pressure because the air from inside is already contaminated. It has bacteria or viruses that we do not need to breathe in while we're outside. If we do that, we'll get infected. That's why it is called negative pressure room. Because air does not leave from inside to go outside. But air leaves from out to come inside. Now, for negative pressure room also, there is at least 12 exchanges per hour. Depending on the age of the structure. That is, um, they have a vent that brings air in the room, O2 air from outside in the room. In one hour, sometimes there can be six to 12 air exchanges. Meaning the air that is in the room will be taken out and will bring new air in the room. So that is all called negative pressure. But, but besides that, regular air, it is not allowed to leave from outside to come in. Uh, sorry, it can come in, but air from in that room cannot go outside. That's negative pressure. Those rooms are for individuals who have lungs, like tuberculosis, COVID-19, and other things. Now, then we have positive pressure room. Then we have what we call positive pressure room. The positive pressure rooms are those rooms that air does not leave from outside to come inside, but air can leave from inside to go outside. Those are individuals who have weak immune system because the air from outside is already it, it, the air from outside has different microbes. So if you have a weak immune system, 
you are on a particular therapy that you need that you need, that you need to be out of the public range in that case you can be in the positive pressure room wherein if that you are breathing out is safe but the air from the atmosphere is not safe because it might have different kinds of macro in it so in that case air from outside is not okay for the client who is in the positive pressure room but their air they are breathing out is safe because they're not breathing out macros so in positive pressure room air is not allowed from out to come in in negative pressure room F allowed from out to come in, but air is not allowed from in to go out. Any question? Yeah, I was asking, uh, uh, about like you said, the, the clients you wear in manufacturing of a regular mask when they be transported. Yeah. So they can wear the regular mask or any but uh, this is the thing. Um, the reason why in a, in the end class, if you ever saw a regular N95, you should choose N95 because that's the required mask. If you have a and you're going for a procedure, they need the, the need to wear out there. Now, if the client is on an airborne precaution and the client uh, is in a negative pressure room. In the other person room, airflow exchange in the room of at least 6 to 12 exchanges per hour, depending on the age of the structure that is being used for the negative pressure room. Now, if splashing or spraying is, possi is a possibility, wear full face gear or face protection. If the client has, if the, if, if the client is, if, 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 if you provide a procedure for the client, it might require flashing or spraying. You should wear a full face gear that will cover the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. So meaning you can wear the N95 plus the what? A face shoe or you wear a goggle on the eye. Any question? Then we have the droplet precaution. Now, all our droplet precaution, that is after um airborne right then we have droplets now after airborne we have b this is droplet now other droplet droplet precautions protect against droplets that are larger than five micrograms so in this case they are larger than five micrograms so if they are smaller than five they will fall on airborne that's why measles, varicella, tuberculosis, they are organizing as small than five micrograms. That's why they are four. That's why they are placed on a uh, airborne. If they are larger than five micrograms, meaning they are considered to be droplet, and you must be at least within three to six feet, three to six feet, to stay safe when there's a droplet problem. Now, also under here, um, examples are they include pharyngitis, pneumonia. So under here you have condition like pharyngitis. You have like pharyngitis. You have like pneumonia. So pneumonia organisms are they are, are larger than five micrograms, so they are considered to be um, droplet. Precaution. 
Now, you have Haemophilus influenza type B, the scarlet fever. You have the German minso, the rubella. You have what we call pertussis. You have like the mums, macoplasma pneumonia, meningococcus pneumonia, and sepsis. These are all because because they are above, they are larger than what? Than five micrograms. So because of the size in there, so they are considered to be what? Droplet precautions. The four honor droplet precautions. Now, so I want you to listen to this condition I'm naming here. Because the NCLA will ask you which of the following organism will be considered droplet precaution organism. It might become insular that I apply. So if you don't know that minso, now miso as a whole, but among the mesos, the among them the one that is larger than five MCG, that is the one, the rubella, which which is the German, the, which is the German miso. Rubiola will fall on a travel because it's larger than what five microgram. But rubella, the one with B-E-L-L-A, that will fall on a droplet because it is larger than the five microgram and the rubiola will fall under the airborne because it is smaller than one five gram so pertussis um pneumonia pharyngitis will all fall under the scarlet fever will all fall under droplet because they are above five microgram in size now this precaution on a droplet they require a private room or room shared with a client that has the same condition. So if a client has the same condition on a precaution of droplets, they can share the same room. So we can have a semi-private room for two clients who have scarlet fever. We can have a private room for two clients who have pneumonia. We can have a private room for two clients who is who, who having pharyngitis because under there they can have a room share with a single individual or they can have a single room as a private room without another individual. Gloves and gowns are worn by the caregiver and those who come in to visit. Disposal of the infectious dressing material into a single non-porous bag without touching the outside of the bag. That will be what we call Yes, so that will be what we call uh, the total precaution. So masks are provided for those who come to visit and those who are providing care for the client include medical staff. These are all these are all what we call droplet precautions. So you have rubella, pertussis, you have the mums, the mycoplasma, pneumonia. Menicocal pneumonia, and you have sepsis, and you have the pneumonic plague. These are all on our travel precaution. Then we have contact precaution. On our contact precaution, contact precaution, on our contact precaution, contact precaution protects individuals who are caregiver who are coming in to visit from the patient who is infected when they are within three feet of the client against direct client environmental contact infection infection 
So you have like example, you have the RSV. Only here you have condition like RSV, respiratory syntaxis virus. You have this, the 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 sigella. You have sigella under here. You also have um like uh, you have this, you, you have like enteric diseases like you have those very enteric like you have uh, amoebiasis, you have schedulosis, those diarrhea condition will fall under contact precaution. You're gonna have like a wound infection, herpes simplex. You're gonna have like impedigo, scabies or scabiasis. You're gonna have multi-drugs resistant organism like MRSA. Those are all four on a while. All those four on a contact precaution. It is good to remember the condition that are for that are that that will fall on a, or that are under airborne. The one that fall on a droplet, the ones that fall on a contact. You should know them to your fingertip. It is important for the anchor. These are gift away questions that when they come in the anchors, you want to have complete control over them. So for these individuals, they can be in a parallel room with all, they can be with other clients who have the same condition. Gloves and gowns are worn by both those that come in to visit and the nurses who are giving care of the CNS or the LV or the LPNs. Then we have protective precautions. These individuals are individuals who are immunocompromised. So, so the last one here is the protective precaution. The D, you have protective precaution. They are individuals who are immunocompromised. They are immunocompromised for them. Because they are immunocompromised, so for them, um, we use, so such as those who have, who have had an allergenic hematopoietic stem cells transplant. So if a, if, we, if, if a client has a, a, a stem, stem cell replacement, because you remember the stem, uh, our, our, our bone marrow produces, uh, or like the bone marrow in our body produce um, web blood cells. Web blood cells function to help us to build our immunity, our defense system. So if we have a bone marrow transplantation, until our bone, our, our bone marrows are well classified, in that case, or ossified, in that case, we are having uh, a uh, immunocompromise, or our, our immune system is not strong enough. So in that case, we'll be on a protective precaution. Meaning, we'll be placed somewhere where we cannot be in contact with the vast majority of our environment to prevent us from catching uh, infectious disease condition. So for these individuals, they can be placed in the proper room. Now, they are the ones that are placed in the wild positive pressure room. Positive pressure room will have 12 flow of air exchanges within, uh, within one hour. They are, it's a room where we only allow air from inside to go outside, but air from outside does not come in. So, um, any air from outside coming in, it needs to pass through HEPA, H-E-P-A, high, uh, in the, in the past, what we said, the, 
the high efficiency particulate air. Before air comes in from outside, the air has to be filtered. That's why we using the heat part to allow air to come in. So because we need that room, the patient who is having the immunocompromise, uh, who immunity are not compromised, that individual has uh, is in the positive pressure room. Any question? Any question? So, I don't understand. So, are you saying that if a nurse want to go in the person with immunocompromised, she she need to wear an IPA or she need to wear a regular face mask? Um, she can wear something to prove because now this is the thing. Um, if she if she if she has no other condition that is known, she does not need to wear a mask. Yeah, she need a mask because the client in the client in the, in the positive pressure room does not have any condition of the airway, but we are preventing them from having condition of the airway of the or of the immune system because that immune is low. So if the nurse is well, the nurse does not have any flu or any kind of lungs disease. The nurse does not need to wear masks or anything to go in the client who is in the positive pressure room. Because the client in there does not have any condition. The only condition the client has is the client is having low immune system. But they do not have any active condition. We are preventing active condition. But a client who is in negative pressure room, that client already has an airway problem. It could be pneumonia, it could be COVID-19, it could be tuberculosis, it could be varicella and other conditions. So in that case, that client needs to be in a what? negative pressure room, wherein the air from in there is already contaminated by the client is breathing out bacteria or viruses that are not conducive for the environment. So because the client is breathing out bacteria or macro that are not that or infection, they are breathing out infectious macros. In that case, their air from their lungs does not need to be going outside. Their air should stay indoor, that is, in the negative pressure room. But if it is in the positive pressure room, the air from inside can go outside. But air from outside cannot come in because the air from outside might have mist microbes in it. They might have bacteria, viruses, and other organisms that the client who is in there, the client does not need it because the client is having an, uh, a compromised immune system. So because of that, if the client breathes in bacteria and other microbes, the client might fall sick.